0: Welcome to the Dead Authors Society. Frank Herbert, February 11th, 1986. Rest in peace. The answer lay there on the clean tablet of Leto's mind. Because this is no longer Mount Eve, no longer Paul Atreides. The desert had made him what he was, the desert and the jackals of Jakarutu with their overdoses of melange and their constant betrayals. The preacher was old before his time, old not despite the spice, but because of it. They said you wanted to see me now, the preacher said, speaking as his child guide stopped. Leto looked at the child of the Palmarie, a person almost as tall as himself, with awe, tempered by an avaricious curiosity. The young eyes glinted darkly above the child-sized suit mask. Leto waved a hand. Leave us for a moment. There was rebellion in the child's shoulders. Then the awe and native Fremen respect for privacy took over. The child left them. You know Faradna is here on Arrakis? Leto asked. Gurney told me when he flew me down last night. The preacher thought? How coldly measured his words are. He's like I was in the old days. I face a difficult choice, Leto said. I thought you'd already made all the choices. We know that trap, father. The preacher cleared his throat. The tensions told him how near they were to the shattering crisis. Now Leto would not be relying on pure vision, but on vision management. You need my help. The preacher asked? Yes. I'm returning to Ericine and I wish to go as your guide. To what end would you preach once more in Arakeen? Perhaps there are things I've not said to them. You will not come back to the desert, father. If I go with you, yes, I'll do whatever you decide. Have you considered, with Viradin there, your mother will be with him? Undoubtedly. Once more, the preacher cleared his throat. It was a betrayal of nervousness which Madib would never have permitted. This flesh had been too long away from the old regimen of self-discipline, his mind too often betrayed into madness by the Jakarutu, and the preacher thought that perhaps it wouldn't be wise to return to Arakin. You don't have to go back there with me, Leto said. But well, my sister is there, and I must return. You could go with Gurney? And you'd go to a wrecking alone? Yes. I must meet Varadin. I will go with you. <sighs> the Preacher sighed, and Leto sensed a touch of the Old Vision madness in the Preacher's manner, wondered. Was he even playing the prescient game? No. He'd never go that way again. He knew the trap of a partial commitment. The preacher's every word confirmed that he had handed over the visions to his son, knowing that everything in this universe had been anticipated. It was the old polarities which taunted the preacher now. He had fled from paradox into paradox. We'll be leaving in a few minutes then, Leto said. Will you tell Gurney? Gurney's not going with us. I want Gurney to survive. The preacher opened himself to the tensions then. They were in the air around him. In the ground under his feet. A motile thing. Which focused onto the non-child, who was his son, the blunt scream of his old visions waited in the preacher's throat. This cursed holiness. The sandy juice of his fears could not be avoided. He knew what faced them in Arakine. They would play a game once more with terrifying and deadly forces could never bring them peace. The child who refuses to travel in the father's harness. This is the symbol of man's most unique capability. I do not have to be what my father was. I do not have to obey my father's rules or even believe everything he believed. It is my strength as a human that I can make my own choices of what to believe and what not to believe, of what to be and what not to be. Leto Atreides II, the Hark al-Adha biography. Pilgrim women were dancing to drum and flute in the temple plaza, no coverings on their heads, bangles at their necks, their dresses thin, and revealing. Their long black hair was thrown straight out, then straggled across their faces as they whirled. Alia looked down at the scene from her temple Airy, both attracted and repelled. It was mid-morning, the hour when the aroma of space coffee began to waft across the plaza from the vendors beneath the shaded arches. Soon. She would have to go out and greet Faradon, present the formal gifts and supervise his first meeting with Ganima. It was all working out according to plan. Gani would kill him and, in the shattering aftermath, only one person would be prepared to pick up the pieces. The puppets danced when the strings were pulled. Stilgar had killed Agarvis just as she'd hoped. And Agarves had led the kidnappers to the Digida without knowing it, a secret signal transmitter hidden in the new boots she'd given him. Now Stilgar and Aurelian waited in the temple dungeons. Perhaps they would die, but there might be other uses for them. There was no harm in waiting. She noted that the town Fremen were watching the pilgrim dancers below her, their eyes intense and unwavering. A basic sexual equality had come out of the desert to persist in Fremen town and city. But social differences between male and female already were making themselves felt. That too went according to plan. Divide and weaken. Alia could sense the subtle change in the way the two Fremen watched those off-planet women in their exotic dance, let them watch, let them fill their minds with garfla. The louvre of Alia's window had been opened and she could feel a sharp increase in the heat which began about sunrise in the season and would peak in mid-afternoon. The temperature on the stone floor of the plaza would be much higher. It would be uncomfortable for those dancers, but still they whirled and bent, swung their arms and their hair in the frenzy of their dedication. They had dedicated their dance to Alia, the womb of heaven. An had come to whisper this to Alia, sneering at the off-world women in their peculiar ways. Aid had explained that the women were from Ix, where remnants of the forbidden science and technology remained. (laughs) Alia sniffed. Those women were as ignorant as superstitious and backward as the Desert feminine, just as that sneering aide had said, trying to curry flavor by reporting the dedication of the dance, and neither the aide nor the Ixans even knew that Ix was merely a number in a forgotten language. <laughs> Laughing lightly to herself, Alia thought, let them dance. The dancing wasted energy, which might be put to more destructive uses, and the music was pleasant. A thin wailing played against flat timpani from gourd drums and clapped hands. Abruptly, the music was drowned beneath the roaring of many voices from the plaza's far side. The dancers missed a step, recovered in a brief confusion. They had lost their sensuous singleness Even their attention wandered to the far gate of the plaza Where a mob could be seen spreading onto the stones Like water rushing through the open valve of a quanet Alia stared at that oncoming wave She heard words now And one above all others Preacher! Preacher! Then she saw him striding from the first spread of the wave, one hand on the shoulder of his young guide. The pilgrim dancers gave up their whirling, retired to the terraced steps below Alia. They were joined by their audience, and Alia sensed awe in the watchers. Her own emotion was fear. How dare he? She half-turned to summon the guards, but second thoughts stopped her. The mob already filled the plaza, they could turn ugly, if thwarted in their obvious desire to hear the blind visionary. Alia clenched her fists, the preacher. Why was Paul doing this? To half the population, he was a desert madman, and therefore sacred. Others whispered in the bazaars and shops that it must be Madhib. Why else did the Mahatnik let him speak such angry heresy? Alia could see refugees among the mob, remnants from the abandoned sieges, their robes in tatters. That would be a dangerous place down there, a place where mistakes could be made. The voice came from behind Alia. She turned, saw Zia standing in the arched doorway to the outer chamber. Armed house guards were close behind her. Yes, Zia? My lady, Farad'n is out here requesting audience. Here? In my chambers? Yes, my lady. Is he alone? Two bodyguards and the lady, Jessica. Alia put a hand to her throat, remembering her last encounter with her mother. Times had changed, though. New conditions ruled their relationship. How impetuous he is, Alia said. What reason does he give? He has heard about. Zia pointed to the window over the plaza. He says he was told you have the best vantage. Alia frowned. Do you believe this, Zia? No, my lady. I think he has heard the rumors. He wants to watch your reaction. My mother put him up to this. Quite possibly, my lady. Zia, my dear, I want you to carry out a specific set of very important orders for me. Come here. Zia approached, to within a pace. My lady? half Aradon. His guards and my mother admitted. Then prepare to bring Ganima. She is to be accounted as a Fremen bride in every detail complete. With knife my lady with knife? My lady that's Ganima poses no threat to me. My lady, there's reason to believe she fled with more to protect him than for any other Zia My Lady. Ganima already has made her plea for Stilker's life, and Stilker remains alive. But she's the heir presumptive. Just carry out my orders. Have Ganima prepared. While you're saying to that, send five attendants from the temple priesthood out into the plaza. They're to invite the preacher up here. Have them wait for their opportunity and speak to him nothing more. They are to use no force. I want them to issue a polite invitation, absolutely no force. And Zia, my lady, how sullen she sounded. The preacher and Ganima are to be brought before me simultaneously. They are to enter, to gather upon my signal, do you understand? I know the plan, my lady. Just do it. Together and Alia nodded dismissal to the Amazon aide. As Zia turned and left, Alia said, on your way out, send in for party, but see that they're preceded by 10 of your most trustworthy people. Zia glanced back, but continued leaving the room. It will be done as you command, my lady. Alia turned away to peer out the window. Just a few minutes, the plan would bear its bloody fruit and Paul would be here with his daughter delivered to the coup de gras, to his holy pretensions. Alia heard Zia's guard detachment entering. It would be over soon, all over. She looked down with a swelling sense of triumph as the preacher took his stance on the first step. His youthful guide squatted beside him. Alia saw the yellow robes of the temple priests waiting on the left, held back by the press of the crowd. They were experienced crowds, however. They'd find a way to approach their target. The preacher's voice boomed out over the plaza, and the mob waited upon his words with rapt attention. Let them listen. Soon his words would be made to mean other things than he intended, and there'd be no preacher around to protest. She heard Faraddon's party enter, Jessica's voice, Alia. Without turning, Alia said, Welcome Prince Faradn. Mother, come and enjoy the show. She glanced back then, saw the big car Tychnik scowling at her guards who were blocking the way. But this isn't hospitable, Alia said, Let them approach. Two of her guards, obviously acting on Zia's orders, came up to her and stood between her and the others. The other guards moved aside. Alia back to the right side of the window motioned to it. This is truly the best vantage point. For listening to the Dead Authors Society, be sure to follow for more content posted several days a week.